Welcome to another life-changing episode of Skidmark Show. If this episode doesn't automatically make you better looking and richer than you were yesterday, we will give you our next episode absolutely free. In fact, we'll give you all of our episodes for free because we're that good. Powered by Pennzoil. Hey, this is Chris Jericho from Fozzie, and you're listening to Skidmark's The Best Show on the Planet. Really? Hey, this is Ricky from the Nixons. You're listening to Skidmark Show. Hey, this is LJ from 7 Us, and you listen to Skidmark. See you out there. God bless y'all. Welcome to Skidmark Show, my friends, and welcome to another very special Rockstar edition of the show. This time, though, we go a little sideways. We have Joe Dandano, the drummer from Theory, formerly known as Theory of a Dead Man, on the show coming up, and he has got some great stories to share, including how he joined the band and how many times they've had someone want to dance for them to their song, Bad Girlfriend. But that's coming up in a little bit. First, though, we do something different this time. And by different, I mean we have not just a rock star, but a star of the highest caliber. If you were around in the 70s, then you know our first guest. He was the biggest star of the decade in many people's opinions and was not just a singer, but in TV and movies and all around the world. And he's a self-described car freak, too. If you're one of our lady listeners who was around in the 70s, then you may have even had his poster on your wall or ceiling or wherever you crazy girls hung posters of him, freaks. And I got to do something many women have dreamed of doing. I got to call Leif Garrett. Not only that, but he has so many stories to tell. In fact, they're all in his new autobiography and memoir, Idle Truth, which is available now wherever you get your books. And let me tell you, he has more wild stories than many rock stars I know, including the one where Wonder Woman jumped all over him for his language on the TV set. But I'll let him tell you that. We begin our episode with me trying to call Leif while he's trying to call me. I was just leaving a message saying, but I hate texting, and I'm driving, and I can't text anyway. Love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it went through because I just got you called right as I was about to leave it. Hey, Leif, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. This is a Skidmark show. It's a show about cars and rock stars. Well, it sounds good to me because um, I love cars just about more than women. And um, I am sitting right now in my Cayman S. And uh, I just uh, drove down from to my house uh, in the canyon and uh, rather feverishly, as I might say, I love this car. Man, I, I was going to say, and we were going to get into cars later, but screw it. Let's just start now. I love the fact that I was reading your book and I haven't finished it, but I, I'm about on page 200 now. There's a lot of times when I'm reading and you're telling stories and it seems like you were leaving some details out, whether they were foggy or whether you wanted to keep those to yourselves. But anytime you talked about a car, you knew the specific model, you knew the year, you knew everything about it. It's like everything about cars was always 100% still there for you. And in the book, I thought that's awesome. I'm a car guy. I'm not, I don't wrench cars that much. Uh, I'm not that sort of guy, but, but, I am a race car driver at heart. That's awesome. And the Porsche 914 2.0 that you had, those everybody always says 911s, but 914s were always my favorite from back in the day. Those little boxy thin ones, man, I love them. Dude, they they were the coolest because they sat so low and they were really a mid-engine car. And the handling on that that vehicle was insane. Yeah, it was like you're on rails, like on a roller coaster because it was so low and wide, you could just you could corner practically 90 degrees. Absolutely. And and the car I have now is the same because it's a real mid-engine. It's not like the 911 with the motor in the rear. It's, it is actually just a two-seater, and it's got the Tiptronics. So, like, I go through corners at full full pedals in the metal, 
and 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 just drop it into another gear and don't even uh, you know slow down. Now, unfortunately, that nine fourteen was the one <laughs> that rolled down the hill with your uh, your buddy Roland. Was there any salvaging that car and trying to bring it back, or were you just trying to put that whole episode kind of move past it? That was the last I saw of that car that night. Um, unfortunately, but fortunately at the same time. Right now. One of the best stories, and you, you've got some doozies in this book, man. We're going to get into a couple here. But one of my favorites is when you wrecked the BMW and you tried to bury it on that guy's ranch. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I was thinking clearly, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I can say that I have been in some of the same headspaces you've been in, and I can see myself wanting to do the exact same thing. I hear that. <laughs> Man. So I take it the sheriff took care of everything and you never saw that car again either? That's true, man. And can you believe, I mean, I, I'm not bragging about this. I, I feel fortunate that this happened um, only because the guy, the, the sheriff's uh, daughter was a fan. So all I needed, instead of being brought up on charges for insurance fraud, which could have easily happened. I um I just signed an autographed photo and got away with the whole thing. And, and um, that's that's like not a good thing. But at the same time, I was lucky that 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 happened. I'm almost wishing that you had actually gotten the car buried and they had to duck dig it up, and then you find it again years later, and that would have been an even better story. Oh, I I would have done that too because also I hated the fact that I left the stereo that I put in there in it. <laughs> oh no, man! That was one of those good ones back in the the high fives back in the seventies, huh? Exactly. It was the uh, the the the, the uh, four um, the uh, separate uh, the uh, outside the the the, the doors. That, um, Rich Finch was the one who gave me that system as a gift. Oh, those are those blau uh, punks that you wrote about in the book. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you sound so sad to be missing the stereo. I am sad today. <laughs> well, um, let's get into we'll, we'll we'll get into what cars you got now here in a minute. Um, let's talk about a little bit of the book. It's called Idle Truth. It's out. And it's an amazing memoir. It reads nice and easy, and it's got some great stories. The music I didn't realize. I'm a little younger. I was born in '74, so I wasn't uh, part of the big Leif Garrett uh, surge or anything. But I never realized that uh, for the longest time you were just unfortunately one of those prepackaged pop stars that they had somebody else singing yeah. for you. And and did you ever get to go on tour and actually sing and not just do the lip syncing for the crowd? Absolutely. Um, that was because back in the day, that was normal for television shows and things like that. And some people, uh, you know, like, as we know, even today, some people, I'm not going to name names, um, you know, Britney Spears, um, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, a few other people, but, uh, you know, um, uh, do that. But, you know, uh, yes, I did get to do that, and I, and I had to learn trial by fire. I, I wish that I'd learned to be a singer before, rather than having to learn to become a singer on the road. It was it was a little more tough. You know, little, I... Uh, I was going to say that I, I was as I was reading the book, I was telling myself, I'm glad that it's not like that today. And then I thought, wait a minute. You, and I don't want to call anybody out by name, Britney Spears. You look at some of these uh, Disney Channel <laughs> stars and yeah, they're doing the exact same thing. They're packaging these kids up, pushing them out on tour. And some of them can actually sing. But other than that, they got nothing to do with their career. That's right. You know, um, because, they, you know, no one's they're not choosing the music. They're not writing the songs. I at one point I actually found some songs in Europe, uh, pop music by uh, M Factor uh, and De Commissar by Falco. I got the rights to do those before 
they got released in America. And and my management, the Scotty Brothers, said, no, those songs will never be hits. And, oh. you know, it's, um, I was like, oh, my God, you guys don't get it. The cars are happening now. You know, I really wanted Roy Thomas Baker to produce my stuff, you know, but they said, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. Do you have any idea how huge of a star you would probably still be if they'd let you do those songs right now? I mean, not that you're not a still big star, but... Please don't, no, but I'm not, like, like I wish I'd, I'd been able to transform uh, from the young teen idol to an adult, the way um, uh, Timberlake has, you know, and that's, that's, that's the thing that kills me. I still cry about it. I think you should, because um, you in your book you were talking about teen idols don't get to go back out on reunion tours. And, you know, looking at the music landscape today, everybody's going out on a reunion tour. I think you should go out, but let's have a little fun with it. Let's have you doing some Iron Maiden and Slipknot songs and see what your crowd looks like then. It sounds good to me. I'll put the mask on and everything. Oh, wait, I've already got it on. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, no, you know what? I, I would love to do stuff like that, you know, uh, whatever, all, all that stuff. You know, I got a buddy who's a, a concert manager for uh, AEG, and he was out with Donnie and Marie. And if they're still going, there's no reason Leif Garrett shouldn't still be going. Well, I actually did a, a couple of tours uh, with uh, uh, the Bay City Rollers and. Um, uh, God, I forgot, I forgot to blanking on the names right now. But but we did a thing called the Original Idols, which is, you know, I, that's a lot of audacity to call it that. I mean, Original Idols were like Frank Sinatra and Mozart. You know, it's not anything to sell some tickets, though, right? Yeah, whatever. And, but it was fun. <laughs> it, it was fun to do it. You know, it, but yeah, it worked. It, it, it stuff uh, sells. Okay, um, one of the stories, and we'll get to a couple of these that are in the book. I still find it hilarious that Wonder Woman told you she better not hear you say the word puffkin again. What the fuck are you talking about? What do you mean? <laughs> Were you on the Wonder Woman set? No, I know, dude. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, Linda Carter, Linda Carter. I was, I, I think I was like seventeen or eighteen, something like that. And I, you know, I just happened to say it rather loudly, and I didn't know she was behind me. She was walking up behind me, and she reprimanded me. Being the, the you know reborn again Christian that she is, I'm not sure what a, such a good Christian she is if she has to be reborn at it. But um, you know, uh, I was told if I say that word again, I will be thrown off the set. Wow, that that's kind of awesome and and sucky all at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree. Now I'm I'm <laughs> reading over the story of you and this lady Monique Saint Pierre, and I think you skipped part of it. <laughs> Or maybe not. You were talking about she was there with her husband, and then you and her ended up together. Did her husband know that she was? Um, you know, I think her husband must have known that she was promiscuous and was sleeping around. But I, I don't. But I don't know. You know, and I feel badly because you know Val. He was a good guy. Um, but I, I know that he wasn't loyal either. So, well, all right. I think the the worst part or the the funniest part was. My cousin Peter being in the room, uh, we were, my cousin Peter and I were sharing, hold on a second here, I, my ride's here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, my cousin Peter was in the room uh, when she uh, came in and disrobed and jumped on my lap, um, and uh, we were going at it, and he was, he, he, he was rather naive and hadn't been you know, around and had that much sex yet. Uh, and ended up going in the hallway and sleeping in the hallway to get away from us moaning and groaning and grinding and 
But didn't you, you guys got a girl for him too? Did she just end up joining you and Monique? Because you'd gotten him his own lady. Oh yeah, no, that was in the next city we went to. We went from, see, we did a whole, uh, a sex tour. (laughs) (laughs) That ended up at Ron Popeil's house. That was right. It was his daughter and Monique and myself and Peter. (laughs) Did they have Mr. Microphones and, like, those microwave egg machines all over the damn house? And... Hey, be back. They pick you up later, good looking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson in the bar asked oh, you to boy. show him how to uh, love himself, if you will. Yeah, if you will. What uh, the hell? Well, you know, it's funny. It's like I was so, you know, naive, I guess. At that stage of my life, even though I was having sex quite often, you know, I didn't realize that the man was trying to pick up on me. And, um, you know, we stayed friends. We were friends for a while. Um, you know, I, I, it's funny because I was actually going out with Tatum O'Neill for a little while at the same time. And uh, she used to talk about how she and Michael would get together sometimes. So, you know, I never thought of him as, as being a little uh, light on the feet. Um, so to speak, but, uh, you know, it, it seemed odd to me that somebody old, like a year or two older than me didn't know how to love himself, as you say. Right. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I told him, I said, listen, I've got a penthouse upstairs in my room and some lubriderm and here's my room key and go for it. And he thought the penthouse was too nasty. <laughs> uh, yeah. He was like, oh my, oh, that's nasty. That's so nasty. Oh my God. Dave, that's just so nasty. How can you look at that? Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. My my show, um, we're partnered with uh, Pennzoil, and we go to SEMA every year and host a live stage. We just got back from there, and we had Eric Estrada join us, and he was one of the coolest guys ever. And you got to be on Chips in the heyday. Was Eric cool back then as he was? Well, I don't know if you know how cool he is now, but was he cool back then? You know, I, I, I as far as I can tell, you know, we didn't really hang out that much. The first day I walked onto the set, he was talking uh, to somebody else, and they were in a discussion about drugs. And I walked in, he, he looks at me, and he says, well, he would know. <laughs> and so I, you know, I immediately said, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. I don't, um, so. Golly. And uh, <laughs> probably even cooler than that was one of your scenes. You got to drive a Ferrari on a yet unopened stretch of freeway, and they told you you were going too damn fast. Dude, that was, I wanted that 63 GTB long nose covered headlights. I was doing 90 in second gear um, and, and, and actually dropped it into, into third and, and was flying, dude. I didn't even look down at this phenomenon. I was going so fast. I was, it was scaring myself. That, that car was amazing. I told him, I said, I'll take the car in payment instead of you guys giving me, you know, my salary. The owner of the car said, Hell no. <laughs> I probably would have said no, too, because, I mean, those Ferraris back then are sweet. Oh, my God, yeah. But did you not just go and uh, buy one for yourself the other day? I know you kind of never knew how much money you had or didn't have, but you could have probably gone and gotten your own. Well, it's funny. Yeah, I, I could have then. Um, right now, I have, uh, I've got, like I said, I've got my Cayman, and uh, I've got a 1932 Ford roadster pickup um that is so much fun it's ridiculous have you hot rodded it out or is it just uh all original no, it's a full hot rod man it's, nice it's, a, it's all matte black um it's got you know it's just it's basically all motor 
and it's it's lighter than two thousand pounds. The you know the frame is like probably maybe a thousand pounds at the most. So it's a small block Ford. It's all Ford, and it moves, my friend. It it chirps uh, in third. Oh, it wants to in fourth, but it chirps all the way to third. Any cars out there for your dream garage that you haven't had yet or, or you're trying to get? Yes, the new McLaren. Oh, the 720? I would take any McLaren you throw at me. Well, yeah, I probably would too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Leif, thanks for joining me today, buddy. And maybe one of these years you need to come out to uh, the SEMA show in Las Vegas with us, bring a couple of your hot rods and hang out with us on stage. I, I would absolutely do that in a heartbeat. Um, I should call you from the uh, car show here in L.A. when we go. <laughs> yeah, do, man. Call it. I'd love to have you be like our reporter on the beat from the show out there. That'd be awesome. God, I would do that. No problem. Keep the rubber side down and talk to you later. I'm totally going to text Leif again and see if he's been to some cool car shows and wants to report back. Or if he's going to bring some of his cars and come hang with us sometime. And, of course, you'll hear it all here on Skid Mark Show. Up next is Joe Dandenau, the drummer for the band Theory, formerly Theory of a Dead Man. They have a ton of hits. Their new single, History of Violence, is out now. And the new record and tour kick off January 31st, 2020. So, thanks to a good friend of ours, credit where credit's due, Mike Newfeld from the Garage Boys. Love you guys. I got to talk to Joe to see how he joined the band and what's happening with theory in 2020 hey joey how are you my friend i'm doing all right man how are you i'm great first of all uh, i gotta give credit where credit is due um because you and i have a good friend mike newfeld from the garage boys in common and he set this up for me so thanks to mike how did you and uh, mike become buddies oh yeah mikey mikey newfeld he and i grew up in the same city playing in the same uh, cover scene. Uh, basically, we're about the same age. I think we're like a year apart or so. Um, so I, I've known him for many years. We played the same bars. <laughs> uh, we ran into each other many, many times. And and, and uh, he moved away before I did. And he just happened to move to the city that I ended up moving to later as well. So we kind of have the same paths as far as... Uh, you know, all that goes, and, and, and uh, now we we live in the same city once again. I know. I thought that was funny. You were, you're both from Manitoba, and now you're both uh, in Vegas. That's a pretty neat coincidence. It's very, yeah, it's a big coincidence. But I, well, he had something, he had a little bit to do with, with me moving here as well, because I, I always wanted to move here. I always knew I loved it, but he kind of, him and, and another mutual friend that him and I have, uh, he, you know, both kind of talked me into, uh, moving and moving to Vegas here because um, they both loved it. So it was a good telling point for me knowing that he was here. Where do uh, Tyler and the rest of the guys in theory live? Are they all still in Canada or is everybody just spread out? We all, we all spread out. Uh, we are, the band is based out of Vancouver, Canada, uh, but only one of us uh, still lives there. The rest, we all live in all different cities uh, throughout the States. So, uh, out of Vancouver, I just got to ask, are, are, have you guys made friends with Vancouver's favorite son, um, Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> I don't know Ryan personally. I think my bass player may have met him in passing. Uh, I think he was kind of sort of friends with Will Sasso, I think, or they, they, they kind of knew each other growing up. Um, so, there was a small connection, and, and I think... There was another actor out of Vancouver. Uh, he, I think he did like that 
Miami, one of those Miami uh, cop shows or investigation shows, CSI Miami, I think. His name was AJ something. Uh, so they all had a tie in there. So I think, I think Dean, my producer, may have met Ryan in passing uh, years ago. Well, I remember Will Sasso from Mad TV. That guy was hilarious. I I didn't even know he was from Vancouver. Yeah, it's all, yeah. There's a whole bunch of Canadian boys from, and most of them are all you know, all the actors from Vancouver because that was kind of where you know the Canadian film scene was or still is basically. So let's talk about uh, Theory of a Dead Man, or I guess is it now officially just Theory? Yeah, I mean, well, we did shorten it. For uh, you know, for a few different reasons. One, it's just easier to say theory. A lot of our fans just call us theory, um, and the people that don't know us uh, basically have they get a, they get a, a, the wrong idea of what the band is about. Uh, the of a dead man seems to scare people, or they think we are some black death metal band of some sort. So we just kind of rebranded clear all that up. Well, I, I definitely like it. It makes life easier, and it's better than the acronym that some people were calling you Toad. That's much better than Toad. That's an awful one. I don't, I don't, I don't think any of us ever really liked it. We just never we never really tried to shut it down, but it was, it's not a... It doesn't sound good. <laughs> right. It, it definitely doesn't. Um, how did you, uh, obviously being a drummer in the Canadian scene for a while, how did you first meet up with uh, the rest of the guys in, in theory? So that one individual who I was speaking of earlier that is a mutual friend of Mike and, and mine was the drummer for Theory on their second record. Now, he was a, a hired gun. He worked for Vince Neil and, and, and uh, Bruce Kulik from KISS. And so he had a lot of stuff before the Theory gig. He came in as a hired gun to, to, to get him through that record cycle. Are you talking about Brent? Second record. Brent Fitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've met Fitzy before. He was actually a um, he and I have a friend in common from Texas too. Fitzy's a great guy. He's a fantastic guy, and him and I also grew up uh, in in Winnipeg. And again, you know, we I followed him through the whole cover scene as well, just like uh, Mike and I. Uh, so, so Brent, when he was leaving the band, uh, called me and just said, "Look, I'm going to play with Alice Cooper." These guys are looking for a new guy, and I think you'd be perfect for the gig. Is this something you'd be interested in? Now, of course, at the time, I uh, I absolutely was. I was playing covers in Winnipeg, and I was ready for a uh, next step in my in my career. So it just happened to work out extremely well for me. So I had to go to L.A. and do the audition process through you know all the other twenty other guys that were there, and you know um, and, and earn my spot. Fitzy, for those of you in the in the listening audience, he is actually right now also with the Canadian band Took and playing with Slash and Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. So Fitzy is all over the place, and to take the place of a drummer like him has got to be pretty badass. Uh, it's yeah, it's hard to explain what goes through somebody's mind when they have to take the place of Brent Fitz because, like you just said, he has massive fill when you when you. <laughs> take his place so uh i had nothing to do but work my butt off to make sure that i was you know coming in and and not letting him down 
speaking of Brent, you said he was mostly a hired gun and did the touring. He didn't do any of the writing. Are you only the second drummer to also be involved in the writing process then? Uh, that is that is correct, yeah. Wow, that's cool. So you've been a, you're a songwriter. I'm a friend of mine, Cody Hansen from Hinder, um, he and the lead singer Marshall have been good buddies of mine for years. And they're main songwriters, too, and they write songs for other bands, and they have their own thing. Do you, like Cody, go into the recording studio uh, with some guitar licks, or are you mainly just drums, or do you have other instruments you play? I do play guitar, bass, and drums. However, uh, the writing process for Theory is is um, my singer. So he writes all the lyrics, melody, and uh, he basically writes all our songs on piano now. Um, but he'll add acoustic guitar uh, sometimes, and then he he will send me all his tracks when we're you know when we're writing a new record, and that all those parts are done. So what he's looking for me is to record uh, drum parts. So my my role uh, is to is to come up with the drum parts, and um, I mean I'll sometimes he won't like lay down bass tracks or something, and because I play bass, I'll throw some bass lines in uh, just for reference for myself. And it's up to my, my bass player if he wants to obviously scrap them, which sometimes he keeps a couple of things. Sometimes he, you know, rewrites everything back in the studio. But I, it's not my job or, or I don't require my, – my, my bass playing skills are not required as a songwriter in this band. My job is to just simply write the drum parts. You joined Theory back in 2009. Uh in 2009, they also, along with Hinder, opened up for Crew on the Crew Fest too. Were you a part of that, or did you join after that tour? Yeah, I was long. I was yeah, I was in long before that. Actually, uh, it was us and Hinder and Molly Crew for the Saints of Los Angeles tour. Oh, okay. And yeah, and then we were asked back after that tour from Nikki Six to do Crew Fest two, which Hinder was not on. Okay, yeah, they had they had that backed up. I know Hinder had opened with them a few times, but you know sometimes you you just can't trust what the internet says. I hear. <laughs> that's a that's a fact. Yeah, I was looking at and uh, Medicate right now, which is your most recent uh, big single, ninety three million views on YouTube, which is easily three times higher than any of the other Theory songs. It's got to be just an amazing feat to have almost a hundred million views on YouTube. No, nah, I'm almost not believable. I had to. It's funny you you mentioned those views. I I had to look online the other day because just recently somebody else brought it to my attention. They're like, "Do you did you realize how many views that song has?" I'm like, "No, I have no idea." You know, I don't sit there and, and watch our uh, uh, our success or anything like that. It's just uh, you just don't think about it. But I I went and, and noticed that number, uh, and I'm like, that's ridiculous that's massive i mean for anybody it's huge but for us i mean like you said it's considerably more than everything else we've done um so it's it's almost hard to believe but it feels good <laughs> oh i bet it does yeah i was looking at the different views too and you could almost add up most of the singles which you know you guys started back before youtube was really huge but medicaid alone yeah. almost doubled all the views of all your videos yeah it's all it's like i said it doesn't even seem real but Somehow, yeah, that song just uh, kind of exploded for us. 
And speaking of uh, charting and exploding in popularity, it's sort of weird if you look at the earlier singles, they all charted a lot higher on like radio charts and Medicaid was a much lower. But obviously, according to the public, as far as YouTube, Medicaid is a much popular song. Are you guys seeing the Internet becoming just the best way to release new stuff out there? Uh Yes and no. I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, radio has always been there for us. I mean, Medicaid still went number one on Active Rock for I don't know how many weeks, but but uh, streaming is where it's at now. It seems like streaming is really becoming a big thing for well for pop and and country and you know um, R and B, rap, all that stuff. Rock doesn't seem to stream as much as as those genres however we somehow are on active rock radio but yet our streaming numbers as a rock band are higher than than most so it's a it's we have this weird thing with our fan base and them kind of following us over into the streaming world even though we're not a brand new band so and a lot of our fan base you know is from years back that they weren't a part of the whole streaming process so it's interesting to see where a lot of our fans are listening to us now and we're finding that streaming online is i'd say bigger than radio now for us i say it's bigger than radio for a lot of people and uh, just so you know i'll put uh links to like at least medicate youtube links up on the uh, skid marks facebook page and we'll just double that 93 million right away that sounds fantastic <laughs> <laughs> all right i gotta ask um not insinuating that you go to strip clubs or not, but how many times have you walked into one and all of a sudden bad girlfriend is blaring through the speakers? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so with that song, yes, I, yes, to answer that question quickly, <laughs> yes, I have, <laughs> I have, I have uh, been walked into a, to a strip club back in the day. This is not anything recent. Um, this was when Bad Girlfriend first came out. We, uh, well, I wouldn't say frequented, but we've been in a few where, yeah, a song's been playing or, this, you know, a stripper came and, and approached us as a band and said, you know, we, I'd love to give you a dance uh, and we, I wanted to be a bad girlfriend. And so we said yes. You want to be accommodating, right? You want to be friendly. I don't want to be rude. Exactly. <laughs> so, so we politely, politely agreed to it and... um <laughs> It's the Canadian thing to do, right? (laughs) I guess that's what we're known for, yeah. Very, very nice and polite. Yes, yes, please. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, You mentioned earlier you had been in some cover bands before you joined Theory. Do you personally have a favorite drummer to emulate when you're not out there playing your own stuff that you would do in cover bands? Well, cover band drummer, like cover band songs that the cover bands play aren't typically... They're they're usually hit songs, and a, a lot I find that a lot of like really intricate, amazing drummers that I love to follow don't they're not in like pop bands or, or you know bands that cover bands cover. Um, so it's kind of that's kind of a hard question, but you know I I think that I mean I I've always been a fan of Morgan Rose. Now he's in a oh. band called Seven Dust, and, yeah, and, and the cover bands only cover Seven Dust. I mean like right. they're a a metal cover band, but they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be playing in, in bars where people want to dance, you know? Right. So, it's kind of a, 
don't really have a great answer for that. But uh, at the end of the day, all the cover band stuff is really straightforward. Like, it's all money shot stuff. It's all ACDC. Right. You know, just boom, chick, boom, chick all night. It's not really, straight, you know, extremely fun to play, but it certainly pays the bills. You know, uh, no, Morgan Rose, we've we've had Lejean on Skidmark's show before. Um, I'm friends with, uh, I think, Clint on Facebook. I was going to reach out. Not like really friends, just Facebook friends. I was going to see if he wanted to be on. Or if you happen to know, know Morgan, you know, give him a shout. Have him uh, join us on the show. Been a big fan of Seven Dust since they first came out. Yeah, I do know Morgan, as a matter of fact. Uh, we have done shows with Seven Dust over the years, and I got to know him. Uh, so if I ever get back in touch with him... Um, I will certainly let them know. Awesome. I appreciate it, man. Let's talk about um, the new album, Say Nothing, actually set to release on the 31st. You just recorded it in London. Was London just to sort of get someplace new, or have you guys recorded in London before? We recorded our last record there as well, Wake Up Call. Oh, okay. Same and studio? Same studio, same producer. We went over there with, to do Wake Up Call because we had used the same rock producer since the second record and we as a band felt like we needed to change it up and we had a different genre different sound kind of you know in mind that we wanted to achieve and we felt like going a different direction in the producer world would help and Martin Tereffi uh, was interested in doing the record and he is a pop producer from Sweden who has uh, he lives in London now and he has a studio in London, and he was interested in doing it. So we talked to him and said, would you want to come to the States and do the record over here? And he said he would, but then he also just said, by the way, I have my own studio. It's great. I've, I've got, this is all the gear and stuff I have. Would you guys be interested in coming to London? And, and we are like, you know what, maybe that's a better idea because it's going to get us out of our comfort zone, out of the box, completely new everything and it gives us a chance to not have any distractions you know back home so we did and it worked out you know pretty good as you can see with with rx medicaid right oh yeah so we we wanted to uh to do it again and he was down to do another record so went over and did it again. Awesome. Makes sense to me. Now, the, the first single already taken off on YouTube as well. It's called History of Violence. Now look at this place. No one is safe. No one is safe from you. I think most people know what it's about if they've watched the video or heard the song, but why don't you tell us what History of Violence is basically uh, about? Well, domestic abuse. I mean, it's, it's a real thing, and all we're basically doing is trying to bring awareness to it. There's a lot of, maybe there's a lot of people that don't know about it. Maybe they know it's there, but they don't realize how, how big of an issue it is. And um, so when we made that video, we chose not to be in it. And we spoke to the director and said, we don't, we don't want to be in this. We want this to be basically a short story or a short film about what's really going on. And I think us being in it is going to ruin that. So he agreed, and, and we felt when we saw the finished product that it, we, we did make the right decision. And uh, I think it, it tells the story of the song and tells the story of the lyrics very well. And it's, it's touching, it's moving. Uh, it's almost it's almost scary because it's, <laughs> it shows what's really going on out there. Well, and so uh, I appreciate... He, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, 
No, I was just going to say I appreciate the fact that you guys did that. Uh, I absolutely agree. You know, having a flashes back to the band would distract from the important story that the video is telling. And, you know, thanks for bringing something out to the forefront that, unfortunately, not enough people know about or are talking about. Yeah, well, I, I think it's I think it's helping. I think at the end of the video, we have the hotline phone number for anybody who needs to call. To, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's there. Do you guys have a big tour plan for uh, Say Nothing once it hits the streets? Yeah, well, actually, J- January 31st uh, is the start of our Canadian tour. Awesome. Well, you got to come down to Florida where I am. Uh, I'll come see you guys. We'll hang out. We'll have a good time. And uh, thank you so much for calling in and joining us on Skidmark Show. Joey, um, it's been a pleasure, man. It is my, it's been my pleasure. Matter of fact, what part of Florida? Because we're going to be there in the spring. Tampa. We are playing Tampa, Amelie Arena with Godsmack. Oh yes, I, I would love to see you there. If you know, if possible, we'll come meet you before or after the show or something, because we will one hundred percent be at that concert. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. That's all for this episode of Skidmark Show. Thanks for listening, and remember to leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. As always, download us for free and share us on all your social media channels. Plus, check us out on our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And we'll have another brand-new free episode coming your way soon. See ya. Love ya. Thanks for listening to Skidmark Show. We'll have another episode full of fast cars and rock stars ready for you soon. Until then, be sure to share this episode with your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and all all social media and leave us a five-star review everywhere you get your podcast until next time listen loud and drive fast when nobody's looking powered by pig oil, oil.